Father, in Jesus' name, we need you in this very moment. Lord, I am dependent upon you. I admit, Lord, that I'm not equal to the task. We need the anointing of the Holy Ghost of God to speak to us in, by, and through your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for his word, will you? He was molested when he was seven years old. He was a creative kid. He started writing songs when he was 10 years old. At 11, he faced another problem. He contracted spinal meningitis. He grew up in abject poverty on a farm. Uh, really did not grow up with his... Uh, with all of his birth family, he was somewhat of a uh, foundling. When he was 12 years old, he started his own rock and roll band. Uh, and uh, when they moved to Arizona, when he was 14, he started their own, his own rock and roll band. And when he was 16 years old, he wrote his first million seller and recorded it when he was 17 years old. Now, some of you can reach back into the late 50s and early 60s and remember songs that he either sung or produced. Anybody remember Alley Oop? Oop, Oop, Oop. <laughs> Anybody remember the Monster Mash? Gary S. Paxton either produced, wrote, or sung in those songs and many others. Gary went through a time in the mid to late 60s and early 70s where he was in and out of mental institutions. He was addicted to drugs and to alcohol. His business partner committed suicide and Gary wandered into a church and gave his life to the Lord. And after that experience, Gary wrote what was his signature song. It went this way, time after time, I went searching for peace in some void. I was trying to blame all my ills on this world I was in. Surface relationships had used me till I was done in, but all the while I was waiting and begging for someone to free me from sin. Never again will I search for a fake rainbow's end. Now that I've found the answer, my life is just starting to rhyme. Sharing each new day with Him is a breath of fresh life. And oh, what I've missed, He was there waiting all the time. He was there all the time waiting patiently in line. He was there all the time. That's what Jacob said after he had that vision or that dream of the Angels descending and ascending, a golden staircase or a ladder up into heaven. He awoke and said with astonishment, Surely the Lord was in this place and is in this place, and I didn't know it. He was there all the time. First of all, Jesus knows, the Lord knows where to seek us. He knows just where to seek us. Jacob had left his father Isaac for a couple of reasons. 
probably the most pressing of those reasons is he had tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright and then he had tricked his dying, ailing, blind father out of getting the blessing that belonged to Esau. And uh, his mother said, you better get out of here. Esau will kill you. Let me talk to your daddy. And she talked to her, to uh, Isaac, Rebecca did, and said, he doesn't need to marry any of these Canaanite women. Let's send him back to my people and let him find a wife. And, and Jacob was on his way between Beersheba, which meant the well of an oath, to a place called Haran where Rebekah was from, which meant a desolate or a dry or a barren place. So he was leaving Beersheba, the well of the oath, and going to a dry and desolate place. He was running from his brother, and he was going to find a wife, and you can imagine how that his future was a huge question mark. And there he gets out and he's all alone and he finds a stone and makes it a pillow and lays down on the stone and he begins to dream and in his dream he sees a ladder, the King James says, into heaven. It can be translated a staircase, but it's not as important what he sees, it's who is on the ladder or the staircase. Case is the angels of God that are both ascending and descending up and down the ladder. I'm convinced that what he saw was God's supply chain. That's what he called. He saw God's supply lines. That the angels of God, first of all, were ascending up into heaven that they were taking communication to heaven. Aren't you glad that no matter where you are, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, no matter how desperate, how alone that you might feel, Jan, when you're in Atlanta and your husband's sick and you're tired of sitting up in the, in the hospital room and you're tired of sitting in the waiting room, and you're tired of walking down to the cafeteria, and you feel like you're all abandoned and alone, that even then, that when you call out the name of Jesus, that the angels of God take your prayers and ascend up to heaven up on high, march into the throne room and present them to the Lord God as an offering. Aren't you glad that God has a way of keeping track on us? And just like Jacob, when we are leaving all that we've known and we've got a background of an oath, we've got a background of a covenant, we've had a well, a heritage that we could drink from, but now we're departed from that. Now we're alone. Now we're going into an unknown future and we're leaving behind us a turbulent past and we don't even have a place to lay our head. He's laying on a rock, but God knows right where he is. God knows where and knew where to find him and God didn't only know where he was, but God met him there and he said, I saw the angels of God that were taking the report back to heaven of right where I was and what I was going through. And then he said there were angels that were descending on that ladder, descending on that staircase. I'm glad that God not only hears my prayer, I'm glad he answers prayers. I think that we have kind of settled in 
to a comfortable uh, faith, kind of like we settle into a, a nice pair of slippers. You know what I'm talking about? How many of those slippers don't get to fit good until they're about uh, two weeks before they're ready to throw them away, right? When they get holes in the bottom, holes in the tops, so that's when they just get in. And, of course, I usually, you know, a lot of times wear my slippers barefoot. They don't smell so good after a while, right? But, boy, those slippers are so comfortable. I remember hearing somebody talk about I think it was Andy Griffith. He said he got a new pair of shoes and said that pair of shoes, he paid $2 for that pair of shoes. And that pair of shoes fit too tight and, and on each side his pinky toe was rubbing raw. And he got blisters on each side with his pinky toe because them shoes were fitting too tight. So he took his knife and cut out a hole on each side right there where his pinky toe was to give that little pinky toe a rest. And somebody said, you going to do that with a $2 pair of shoes? He said, I wouldn't take $2 for them holes, right? And we've got a faith that's kind of settled into a comfort level. It's kind of gotten ragged. It's real comfortable. And we're real comfortable just knowing God hears our prayers. We've gotten comfortable with the fact that when he prays, he hears our prayers. But can I tell you, that when we pray, it is not just us complaining to God. And it's not us just informing God. We pray because we believe there's a God that hears and answers prayer. And we need to start expecting that the same angels that take the prayers up can bring the blessings down. That the same Holy Ghost of God that takes our prayers to Jesus and Jesus is interceding for us at the right hand of the throne of God, that same Holy Ghost will bring blessing down. When you pray for healing, He sends healing down. When you pray for blessing, He sends blessing down. Now God knows just where to seek us. This is true of biblical characters and we could go on and on and on. I'll only give you three examples, uh, two besides Jacob. Elijah, the Lord knew where to seek him. Elijah had called down fire from heaven. First of all, he was a man like us. And he prayed that it wouldn't rain on the earth, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Uh, and, and then he prayed again, and fire fell from heaven, and it rained again. And then uh, he had that great victory at Mount Carmel. He killed the 400 prophets of Baal, the 400 uh, prophets of the grove. He killed, he killed them, and, and he... Jezebel sent out a hit list on him, put him on a hit list, put a warrant on his head, a price on his head. He runs out in the desert, and he, and he goes up under a juniper tree. Now, I, I, I'll, I'll confess, I don't know what Middle Eastern junipers look like, but I do know what Southwestern junipers look like, Southwestern United States junipers look like. And if the ones they got out there are anything like the ones they got here, you don't walk up under a juniper tree. You crawl up under a juniper tree. It it's, has low-laying uh, branches, and it, it, it's, it's kind of in the cedar variety of tree. And so he got up under that juniper tree and laid there and said, Lord, just let me die. I, I can't help it. I, it always tickles me how insane we get 
when we're discouraged. He could have stayed where he was at and got the answer to that prayer. Right? Because that's what Jezebel was wanting to do anyway. But he climbs up under that juniper tree. And there the Lord finds him. There the Lord sends the angels to Elijah. When nobody knew where he was. But God knew where he was. God knew where to, where to seek him. Jesus goes out the night before he's crucified, the very night that he was betrayed, he goes out to the Mount of Olives and he goes in the middle of the night to the olive press. The olive press, that's what Gethsemane means. Gath means press. Uh, Simone means oil, olive oil. So Geth, Shimon, olive oil. That, that's where he's at. He's at the olive press in the middle of the night. Nobody's there squeezing olives in the middle of the night. No, nobody is, is, is churning the, the, the meal wheel in the middle of the night. He is going where he can be alone in the middle of the night. His disciples are asleep, but God knew where to find him. The Father knew where to find him. And when he had prayed till his sweat became as great drops of blood, the Bible says that God sent his angels to Jesus to strengthen him and encourage him. Aren't you glad that Jesus knows right where to seek you? But he not only knows where to seek us, he also knows what to send us. He knows our needs before we ask. Jacob was sleeping on a stone and the Lord appears to him. And when the Lord appears to him, uh, the Lord renews a promise for a new generation the same promise that God had made to Abraham, the same promise that had passed on to Isaac is the promise that God now renews to Jacob in his own experience. The promise is the same, but the experience is unique to Jacob. Amen? How many of you have been raised to believe in the promises of God? How many of you, you... Mama believed in the promises of God. Your granny believed in the promises of God. How many of you represent, I know there are some of you that you're in that sense first generation, but I would dare say the vast majority of us come from families that go back several, I, I myself am fourth generation Pentecostal. I am the grandson on one side of my family, the grandson of two Pentecostal pastors. I've had some great and precious promises that have been a heritage in my family. Besides which, more importantly, the heritage of the children of God. But I'm going to tell you, while I'm thankful for those precious promises that I was notified about and taught about, I am so glad that I have found that God will show up and make the promise to me face to face. He'll make the promise to me one-on-one. -on -one. He'll renew the covenant with me. I'm not, just, I'm not floating by on daddy's relationship with Jesus. I'm not floating by on papa's relationship with Jesus. I'm not floating by on grandpa Moses' relationship with Jesus. I've met him for myself, and he came and renewed his oath to me. And so what he gave to Jacob, what Jacob needed was a promise, and that's what God sent. 
God sent him a promise. I know you're out here in the wilderness. I know you're fleeing your brother. I know you don't know what it's going to be like where you're going. I know that life is a great big question mark. In other words, Cam, he was about to graduate high school, didn't know what he was going to major in, right? Anybody remember when life was a great big question mark, right? And then you kind of figure out what you're going to do in life, and then you get married, and then, boy, you do have some question marks in, don't you? (laughs) And some exclamation points, (laughs) right? But God showed up and knew what he needed. He needed to know that the promise of God, regardless of his current circumstances, he needed to know that the promise of God was real and that God was faithful. And God said to him, just like he said to uh, granddaddy Abraham, he said, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to be with your children and your descendants and they're going to be like the stars of the heaven and the sands of the sea. And through you and your seed will all the nations of the earth be blessed. He needed a promise in that what God brought to him. God knows just what to send us. Elijah was there and discouraged. He was up under the juniper tree. He did did not know uh, what he was going to do. He was so upset and he was in fear for his life and he had just had a great victory and I do believe this is very true that on the heels of a great victory often comes an emotional letdown. And I think he was tired and worn out and just, well, he was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. He had just reached the breaking point. And God knew that what Elijah needed was provision. Sometimes you just go home and you need some comfort food. Sometimes you just need some macaroni and cheese. You just need some mashed potatoes. You just need some chicken and dumplings. Sometimes you don't need them and you still eat them. But sometimes you just need something that not only nourishes your body but nourishes your soul. And when Elisha Elijah was up under the juniper tree and he was alone. God sent down angels to bring him some comfort food, to nourish his belly and nourish his spirit. And the angel said, you can get up now and run 40 days in the strength of that food you've just eaten. God knew what to send him. He needed provision and that's what God sent him. Jesus there at Gethsemane. Under great strain, great pressure, he was at the press. Isn't it amazing that even in our, in, in our language today, we still incorporate that mindset, don't we? We call it being depressed, don't we? Even today, Jesus was at the, uh, at the olive press and he was under pressure. Right? And just as you have to crush the grapes to get the wine and have to crush the rose to get the perfume and have to crush the olive to get the oil, Jesus was crushed and so squeezed 
until his sweat became as great drops of blood. I'm telling you, we read over that, and I know why we're trying to get to Calvary. I know why we skim over that, because we see the physical pain that he suffered when he was uh, uh, flogged, when he was beaten, when he was spitting upon, uh, spat upon, when his beard was plucked from his face, when he was, you know, had the cross laid on him, when he was nailed to that rugged cross, the suffering that he took, the agony, the passion of the Christ. We see that physical pain, and it's real easy for us to just skip over or skim over or just peruse through the, the agony in the garden. But here's what we call it, theological terms. We, we call the suffering, physical suffering we have, we call it the passion of the Christ. But the time we spent in the garden, we call it the agony of the Christ. Now, I don't like physical pain. And anybody that does kind of got a screw loose, don't they? But I'm going to tell you, physical pain is almost easier than emotional pain, than mental pain. That's what is agonizing. That's where the agony is. I believe Jesus was absolutely not just agonizing in his mind and his spirit about the cross, but I believe he was absolutely under demonic attack in the garden. I believe like David prophesied that the bulls of Bashan were gnashing on him. He was sweating blood. And God not only knew where to seek him, he knew what to send him. And the angels came and strengthened him. Jesus had brought his disciples with him. And of his disciples, he took Peter, James, and John a little bit further with him. And he told them, all right now, boys, y'all stay here and pray. I'm going to go a little further. Sermon right there, isn't it? I'm going to go a little further. But can I tell you, that it meant something to Jesus that they were nearby? If not, he wouldn't have left where he was and walked over there to make sure they were still there and to make sure they were praying. And he, he found them, they were there, but they were sleeping. Old loudmouth Peter said, I'll fight to the end for you. I'll fight to the death for you. He can't even stay awake an hour while Jesus is in the fight of his life. And you never saw a man more alone than Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. A couple of times in my life I've been privileged to go to the church of all nations that's built there over the Garden of Gethsemane. There are, there are olive trees there that they estimate to be 2,000 years old, probably just little sprouts when Jesus was there. Huge olive trees now, gnarled and bent. When I went there to that place, something got a hold of my brother Barry, even though we went to Calvary, we went to the, the, olive, the, uh, the uh, uh, empty tomb, but there was something about the Garden of Gethsemane that the agony 
just reached in and just tugged at his heart. Never a man anymore long, God knew what Jesus needed. He needed a presence. So God sent his angels just to come and lay their shining hands and cover Jesus with their golden wings and let him know he wasn't alone. God knows what to send us. He knows where to seek us. He knows what to send us. And he knows when to show us. See, he was already there, Jacob said. He said he was here and he is here, but I didn't know it. In other words, he said he was there all the time. He was there all the time. Can I tell you, when you walk through the dark places, and, and, I, and, and I'm not condemning us for using this language, but when you walk through the dark places and you're in desperation, and then the Lord blesses you, and we say, I was, I, I was in that difficult situation, and then God showed up. <laughs> no, he was there all the time. He was already there before you got there. He was there waiting when you got there. David said, if I rise up to heaven, he's there. If I make my bed in the belly of hell, he's there. I can't run away from his presence for running into his presence. But we get in those circumstances and we can't see him. That's what Job said. Listen to the voice of Job. This is 23 and 8, and you probably could quote it. He said, look, I go forward, but he's not there. And backward, but I can't perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I can't behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I can't see him. But he knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. The contemporary English version says this, I can't find God anywhere. In front or back of me, to my left or my right. Listen to this. God is always at work, though I never see him. But he knows what I'm doing. And when he tests me, I will be pure as gold. God allows us to flounder around in situations knowing that we're there all the time, that he's there all the time, but we don't know that he's there. I'm going to tell something, and I would appreciate you not calling defects. The statue of limitations has run out on this. My daddy, my sweet, wonderful daddy, that I get people all the time in town, they meet me, see me uptown. I'm expecting them to say, oh, Brother Peavy, Brother Britt, Pastor, we love you. Oh, we just think so much of you. God has just used you. You know what I get? I just love your daddy. I, every time I see your daddy, yeah, he ain't your daddy. My sweet, wonderful daddy, when I was about five, six years old, 
took me to Axon Beach. Y'all didn't even know Axon had a beach, did you? Took me to Axon Beach. Took me up to a little cliff there. Picked me up by my arm. Threw me in the river. I couldn't swim. I sunk. Then you know what he did? He said to my older brothers, all right, one of y'all jump in and get him. And sometimes it sure feels like the Heavenly Father throws us in where we're over our head. But I can tell you, I've never been over my head floundering around that he wasn't there all the time on the shore. And just the time I think I'm going to go down for the third time, he jumps in and scoops me up in his arms and he says, son, I was there all the time. Amen. John found that out on Patmos, didn't he? John was, had, been, had been dipped in bubbling, boiling oil that didn't kill him. He'd been exiled to Patmos. You know, John was the last living apostle, the only one, according to tradition, to die a natural death. He was, many people feel that he was the bishop at Ephesus. When he walked into the, to the home or the meeting place, wherever they met, there was a hushed whisper. People punching each other with their elbows. Look, there's John. It's the last apostle. He's the one that laid on Jesus' breast in the Lord's Supper. He's the disciple that Jesus loved. And when he just went to whisper, people craned their ears, cut their ears to hear his voice. John wasn't tolerated at Ephesus. He was celebrated. And now he is out on the Alcatraz of the ancient world. He's out on a rock in the middle of the Aegean Sea. I can see him on that Sunday morning getting up shivering with the cold, stretching out his back that is covered with the scars of his trial. I would imagine that John was tempted to feel alone. But he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I looked up, And the heavens rolled back like a scroll. And I saw him. It was like the cover was lifted off. The sheet was removed. I saw the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And I saw him like I'd never seen him before. He had eyes like fire and feet like brass and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. He had on a vesture that was dipped in blood and on his thigh was written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I fell down at his feet like a dead man and he said to me, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the faithful 
and the truth. God knows just when to show us that he's there. I hate to share this because I feel so, well, let me just say it. I feel like a sissy because if there's anybody, if you've never met anybody else on this earth that has been abundantly, extraordinarily blessed, let me introduce myself to you. I have been so, so blessed. My whole life, everywhere I've turned, I've been blessed. His blessings have been running after, running after, running after me. I have lived in the goodness of God. And with all of that, with all of that, there have been so many times in my life that I felt alone, felt overwhelmed, felt like I was in a barren place. But I've never been through one of those places, Coleman, that when I had as much as I thought I could bear of it. Just the moment that I thought, surely this was the end, that God didn't step right in and say, I was here all the time. When I am discouraged, and whenever my heart feels so sad, it's then that I'm so contented and my heart becomes so glad. It is in that moment when I feel like that I cannot make it anymore that my soul starts singing and the joy bells start ringing. And it's so wonderful to know he's mine. Went up yesterday, visit Janet Smith's sister who's resident at Vista Park. She's in the hospital over here. They've given her up to hospice. Went in, prayed with her, took her hand, sung with her. Janet started singing, laying there. I sung that. When I am discouraged and my heart's filled with gloom, God sends his angels to sing in my room. And I join the singing. I can't decline. I know, I know that Jesus is mine. To me, it is so wonderful to me. It is so wonderful 
to me. It is so wonderful to know that Jesus is mine. Stand and sing that with me. To me it is so wonderful. To me it is so wonderful. To me it is so wonderful. To know that Jesus is mine when I should feel lonely, when I should feel sad. I'm so contented and my heart is so glad. Joy bells are ringing and my soul is singing, it's wonderful to know he's mine. Come on, hit it in G for me. Just hit G. To me. close your eyes if you are here tonight and you are in that place maybe nobody else knows about but you're in that place of despair lonely patches now there's a difference and the difference isn't that I don't feel the pain of it it's not that it doesn't hurt it doesn't make that rock any 
more comfortable than I'm laying my head on. But what there is, is there's hope. And there's faith. Because I have 50 years of looking back and saying, you know, it's going to be all right because he has never let me down. So right now, why don't you